Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Superspeed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for coming back and joining us this week on Next on the Tee. You know, it was a yawner, right? And it was almost a shocker on Sunday at the PGA Championship. How many of you were like me on Sunday and after Brooks Kepka birdie 10? I was like, you know, I got stuff to do. I went out. I started doing things out in the yard. I took my phone with me to kind of monitor what was going on with the rest of the tournament, not expecting much to happen. I assumed it was going to be sort of a stroll to victory for Kepka. But about 10 minutes later, I looked, and, and he bogeyed 11, and I thought, yeah, no big deal. Then he bogeyed 12, and I said, hmm. And then he bogeyed 13 and 14, and I thought, no way, right? There's no way he's going to choke this thing away, is there? I go back inside, the lead down to one over DJ, and look, folks, we've seen this happen a few times through the course of major championship history, right? And then not too distant past, Greg Norman blows a six-stroke lead at the 96 Masters. We saw Jordan Spieth blow a five-stroke lead on the back nine at the Masters in 2016. And who for, who can forget John Vandeveld, right, at the 99 Open Championship, giving up a five-stroke lead, three of which happened on the last hole. So no one has ever surrendered a seven-stroke lead, but boy, Brooks very nearly did. I'm sure glad he did now. I was so relieved for him when that putt went in on 18 and it was all said and done. Now, you know, so... He's now won four of the last eight majors, and there's no reason to think now, right, that he can't three-peat at the U.S. Open next month at Pebble Beach. And to his credit, when the New York fans, right, started chanting DJ on the 15th hole, he was able to sort of snap out of it, right, collect himself, close it out, and then large part thanks to, you know, goodness knows, if DJ doesn't bogey the 16th and 17th hole, who knows what happens, right? If he pars those two holes, you know, we might likely be headed to a playoff on Monday, or who knows what happens to Kepka over his last three holes. So we're never going to know what, gonna, what could have happened. We're, I'm glad for what did happen. And that uh, collapse was avoided and he goes on to victory. So um, an eventful Sunday when uh, we thought it wasn't going to be much, right? A, a tournament actually did break out on the back nine at a major, which is, like I say, always what happens, right? So we, we can't uh, turn our backs for a second, even with a seven-stroke lead in a major tournament. But again, happy for Brooks. Congratulations. Good for you. Thank God you snapped out of it, and now uh, you've got four majors in your pocket. And uh, like I say, no reason to think he can't make it another one coming up at the U.S. Open next month. All right, on tonight, tonight, folks, and we have got a special show in store for you. And I say we because now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is my co-host on the football side on the Thursday night tailgate show, Mr. Bob Lazeri. Bob, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris, it's great to hear your voice, and it's always a pleasure joining you on the golf side. I've been well. How about yourself? Nah, I'm fantastic, thank you. But it seems like it's been forever since we went on hiatus on Thursday night, even though it's been right around a month or so. But uh, like I say, great having you over here on the golf side. It's, it's going to be a, a little change for us to talk a little golf, but it's always glad. I'm always glad to have the opportunity to do so with you, my friend. And, uh, you know, 
Um, before we get into, you know, the rest of what's, what's uh, going to happen tonight and who we've got joining us uh, later on the show, I want to get your thoughts. You heard me talk a little bit about the PGA Championship right there a moment ago. What's your thoughts? What did you think about what you saw on Sunday? Well, Chris, it, 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 you, you almost knew that there had to be a tiny bit of drama, and I, I'm not thinking that it would go back down to one sh- a one-shot lead at any point, but it just goes to show you, first of all, those weather conditions, and I can talk for anybody that lives here on the East Coast, it was it was brutal, Chris. The, the winds started picking up. Those winds that they had at Bethpage uh, hit here about 16, 17, and now a few hours, uh, a few days later, there are uh, they were major major wins and of course that course uh is just exhausting so i mean let's face it i mean kepka did what he had to do in those first couple rounds i mean the first couple rounds count right chris i mean he put those rounds in the <laughs> bank and he kind of put the tournament away and uh i don't think again any everybody that was saying that and i did the same thing didn't think it would get that close but it goes to show you how tough that course is and hey give kepka credit Chris because just when everyone thought he was just going into a major tailspin he hits one 350 yards straight uh, to, to kind of put himself back on the track at the end there so uh, I, I mean he's a tough guy not to like he's come here to Hartford two out of the last three years he's played very well including last year when he was very tired from uh, winning the week before Chris so he is a favorite here He's a tough again. He's a guy on top of the world. Twenty nine years old. He did his time on the Challenge Tour, as you know. Has the uh, beautiful girlfriend. Very wealthy now. Uh, seems to have it all. And like you said, I mean, it's just amazing to me and amazing to everyone else. Six wins and four of them are majors, Chris. How about that for a percentage? <laughs> Indeed, and and that uh, leads me right to what my next question question was going to be, and I put this out on social media. But let's say, Bob. He goes on now and he three-peats at the U.S. Open, right? Five majors, seven victories. Where does that put a Brooks Kepka when you're thinking about the greatest of all time? We're, we're so quick to name guys the greatest this and the greatest that and put people up on a high echelon. But a guy with five majors isn't anything to choke about, but only seven victories to go along with it. Sort of a, a weird ratio to your point. Where does it, where do you think that does for Brooks? If he were to go on and repeat at the U.S. Open, oh, you know what it is, what it is, Chris, and and all golfers are probably talk about it. It's all about majors, as you know. We don't want guys thinking that these other tournaments throughout the year mean nothing. But his four out of eight majors here, just in this stretch, you're talking rarefied air with Tiger. Jack Nicholas, Ben Hogan. These are these are the major names of all time, Chris. And if he gets a fifth before his thirtieth birthday, which is possible, yeah, you have to start thinking this guy's only thirty. Can he get maybe five more? You know, this is a guy and I've heard a lot of people talk this week that he could easily probably get ten. And you know, uh these guys that have anything above five or six majors are uh it's rarefied air and uh he's got that type of game, Chris. He can win on the tough courses like best page and more maybe a little more friendlier at places like pebble beach where the long hitters don't always win so this guy's special again he's hard not to like and uh he's uh right from here in the united states yeah yeah there you go and i'm with you bob 
I think uh, I think this guy's got a lot of majors left in him. I think he's going to be one of those special players that we're talking about decades from now that we got to see right from the get-go, uh, you know, start to sprout and uh, start adding major after major after major. So looking forward to uh, Pebble Beach and seeing what he does there. All right, on to tonight's show. Our first guest tonight is going to be 2012 Senior Players Champion Joe Daly. And, Bob, Joe had a, a very good college playing career as a walk-on at Old Dominion, won three times in college, and then uh, and then didn't go pro until he was 32 years old. Had some success out on the web.com tour, getting a couple of wins out there, and then sort of really burst onto the scene on the Champions Tour in 2012 with a fourth-place finish at the Senior PGA Championship, later winning the Senior Players Championship. So really looking forward to hearing his stories tonight, Bob. Yes, Chris. Uh, he's doing a little research throughout the week. You know, he's my age, and uh, he, he another guy that's done time on the Nationwide Tour and PGA Tour and has played in a couple majors. We can, we can get his uh, spin on Pebble Beach as he played there. But, yeah, very interesting guy, and uh, to win a uh, senior championship like he did uh, basically in his backyard where he grew up, that, that's got to be special. We'll ask him about that, too. Uh, but it's an honor be, to be talking to Joe. Yeah, really looking forward to having him join us. He'll be along in just a few minutes. Following him, we're going to get a return visit from Nathan Groob. Nathan is the turn, uh, tournament director at the Travelers Championship that's coming up the week after the U.S. Open next month. And Nathan joined us last year around this time. And the tournament is right up there in Cromwell, Connecticut, Bob, in, in your backyard. So uh, they gotta, they're going to have another strong field. Even though it is the week following a major, which uh, we'll revisit the reasons why Nathan and his team are able to get such a strong field every year up there. But, Bob, it's an event that I know you look forward to every year because of the great job that Nathan and his team do. And like I say, it's uh, it's just down the street from you. I can't give them credit enough, Chris, uh, for, an, for a tournament that I consider close to perfect every year. They, they actually improve on it every year. And, and I'll bring this up to Nathan. This year, Chris, and it was a big thing in this past weekend's Hartford Current, they have a new 40,000 square foot clubhouse that, uh, was, they actually tore the other one down after the tournament last year. This one is already up and working and it's, uh, nothing wow. less than a Taj Mahal what they did. And that's just to, again, to appease the players and their families. Uh, we'll go into it. I'm sure Nathan will explain more because what they did is incredible. And I'm sure there's things I don't even know about that he'll bring out that are new this year, but that tournament, and again, what they give to the state of Connecticut and its charities is uh, phenomenal. And they just won award uh, at our annual Gold Key dinner a few weeks ago. And uh, I'll explain more when we get him on, Chris. Yeah, look forward to having Nathan. He'll be back with us at the bottom of the hour. So there you go, folks. we got a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with us over the next hour or so. But before we get started, you know, I always like to remind you about my good friend Mitch Lawrence and his podcast, Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host Darren Bunch let you know about great places to stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're there. You can stream their podcast over on Golf Trip X, and that's the letter X, so GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. So go there, check out their show, and learn about some of the hidden gems that we have around the country. His twin brother, Matthew, also has a great golf show. It's called Backspin Golf, and that show airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time 
on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. Their show also so much fun, and it's a great way to kick off your Sunday morning. Again, it's called Backspin Golf, and you can stream it online at WLXG.com or doing what I did, which is download the WLXG app. And, folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from Steve Rondonero about what you can expect out of them this summer. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20, 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens. And, and you can see a 360 degree. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they have up there and to book your stay as well. I also want to tell you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron for either their Fort Worth PTX or new PTX Pro or Edge irons and go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no, no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, new driver and fairway wood as well, plus their bags and accessories, all available to you online at BenHoganGolf.com. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Two Under. I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under, men's performance briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, which is another story. And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effects, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. All right, now joining us here on the French Lake Resort guest line is 2012 Senior Players Champion, and that is Mr. Joe Daly. Let me give you a little more background on Joe. He's from Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Philly. Played his college golf at Old Dominion University, and he helped Old Dominion to a second-place finish in the 1983 Sun Belt Championship. As a senior, he won three tournaments and was named All-Sun Belt Conference and was twice named the team MVP. Turned pro in 1992. In 96, he finished sixth at the BC Open out on what is now the Web.com Tour. 
In 97, he won the Nike Louisiana Open, and in 2005, he won the Wichita Open. Qualified for the Champions Tour back in 2011. Recorded his first top five in a major by finishing fourth at the 2012 Senior PGA Championship, and later that year won the Senior Players Championship in my hometown of Pittsburgh at Fox Chapel Golf Club. He won by two strokes over Tom Lehman and by three over our good friend Olin Brown. 2014, he finished tied for third at the Shaw Charity Classic and more recently finished tied 23rd at the 2017 Senior Open Championship. And we're very honored he is with us tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Joe, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Welcome, Joe. Uh, hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Hello, Bob. Nice to have you. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you, oh, Joe. It's nice. It's uh, very nice to be here. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was listening to your program and what you said about Kepka <clears throat> and how much of a superb performance he put on there last week. Boy, that was really something. I, I'd never played that page, but my friends from here in Pennsylvania that played said that that was a brood of a golf course. I mean, really just, I mean, they, they didn't even hit from the back tees and, they couldn't even get to some of the par fours and two. So it just shows how it, it, it's just amazing how him and his buddy Dustin there, they worked out together training and they hit it the length they hit it now. And it's, it was just, oh, it was amazing to watch. Yeah. And, you know, and to that end, Joe, as a guy who's played in a couple of majors and you've been, and Bob mentioned this at the at the top of the show how you played at the, in the U.S. Open out at Pebble Beach. You played obviously and won and on the senior tour in some majors. Talk about what is what is it like, you know, dealing with the, the rough, dealing with the elements, dealing with major championship pressure. Because we saw Brooks almost give it all away, and fortunately for him and and uh, his legacy, that didn't happen. But talk about what it's like dealing with those things. Well, at Pebble Beach, when I played there in the open, <clears throat> it was, uh, it had, there, there had been weather, it had rained, the course was playing, and it, it really wasn't playing that fast from memory. But the difficulty about Pebble Beach is that over the years, the greens have settled with the slope toward the sea. So when I played there, my tendency was to underread the putts just simply because of the, just, there's just so much slope and those greens are, very small overall, um, and it's just one of the things. Yeah, you know, one first thing you got to do is just hit it in the fairway, and you don't want to just miss the fairway because that's the toughest rough that you're going to experience. So <clears throat> it's a test. It, 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 you know, Johnson's had some success there winning, <clears throat> and you know, the biggest thing is just to deal with each shot at a time. My first round there, I can remember weather came in, fog came in. I couldn't even see the 11th green from the fairway. And, uh, or no, yeah, 11. And, uh, and they, there was a pause and then we actually continued to play. And uh, it was just one of those things that it's a very difficult golf course. I mean, I don't know how some of the guys I've played with out there have shot the numbers they've shot because it's, it's just forced carries. You're right there by the sea. The ball won't carry. Like if you were playing inland uh, the prior week, you go there and you're hitting a seven iron and hitting it good, and you're not even coming close to the number that you were hitting it the prior week just because of the air density. But it's one of the most beautiful places to play, but it's also mo one of the most difficult, too. 
just to build off of what you just said a moment ago, Joe, yeah, going out there in the air density and you know dealing with fog and all of those sorts of things, but how much of an adjustment from what you're used to hitting and carrying a ball to what it is out there do you have to make? And does it change day after day based on what the weather conditions are? Or talk about how you're able to make that adjustment and figure out what club you need to hit. Well, I always kept my numbers in, in my in my book for each shot during competition, how far I flew it and how much it rolled. So you can adjust to that actually pretty quickly. Um, for example, I uh, I mean, I remember playing, uh, well, there I never played it fast, but it, it's just the numbers of what they are, just simply because if the sun comes out and it gets warmer, well, then the ball's going to go further. And then if weather comes in and you get some rain, well, then... You know, it's not. It's just one of those things that you would instinctively adjust to as you go to try to hit your number to get in position to make birdies. And that golf course, I mean, it, there's really, I mean, I think about number uh, 14, the par 5 up the hill. I mean, that is one of the hardest things to hit, even if you're in the fairway at 100 yards. I mean, because you've got to fly at the right distance, judge your right speed judge your spin rate going in there and uh it, it it's you know first you got to hit the fairway then you got to lay up to a good number and then and then try to hit the green from there i mean it's it's really one of the most it's one of the greatest tests in golf it really is i don't know how they shoot the numbers out there that they do but it's uh it's just one of those things that as a player you you just adjusted the conditions that that you face and then getting it above the hole and putting downhill out there is boy it's you know you just roll it and hope because it's uh they'll actually pick up speed because of the you know the way that they set up the courses and it's just one of those things that as a player you just adjust to it and then move on to the next one and joe we just saw some very penal rough out at beth page so when, when they got it into some of that rough and in the deeper stuff, all the best they could do was hack it out with a wedge and then, you know, take your medicine and try to figure out a way to get up and down to make par. When you played out at Pebble, talk about what the rough was like and do you expect to see sort of the same sort of thing that if you stray off the fairway, it's going to be very difficult to make par? Oh, no doubt. And, you know, a lot of the... Then you have to play to your strengths. Are you going to try to advance it up and get it closer to the green and take a, whatever, 40, 50 yarder, or else are you going to lay back to your number at 100 yards and be able to just trust your game or your strength of your game to hit that shot? Yes, you want to try to scoot one up there and get it as close to the green as possible, but that can also lead to catching intermediate bunkers or even just in bunkers or you know, you want to, it's, 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 it's one of the best tests I've ever seen. And, and where the rough is thickest is where it's right off the fairway because that's where the sprinklers, you know, the irrigation can, will get to and actually, you know, get the grass to grow more healthy and thicker. So it's one of those things I struggled with all through my career, especially played at those type of tournaments where you just miss the fairway and it's like, geez, I wish I had hit it over there in the trees. At least I could. You know, punch it out and, <laughs> or at least advance it and get it up to the green. Five questions for Joe. 
Yeah, Joe, I want to take you back to your early days in Pennsylvania and uh, tell our listeners, Joe, when you first developed a strong interest in golf. Was it way before you played uh, high school golf at Plymouth White Marsh? Well, I grew up caddying. I first started caddying at the Philadelphia Cricket Club back when I was a kid. Rode my bike over there, made seven bucks, single bag. And uh, my dad and my grandfather both played golf and I went out with them playing golf a couple times and loved to just go out and hit balls, although I played other sports, baseball and hockey and skied and uh, rugby. And it was just one of those things that um, it, it seemed like everything that we did back then was sports-related. And with golf, I just would go to the IBB golf class at White Marsh Valley Country Club. I ended up working there, too. And... Uh, it was one of the things where I saw all the greats of the day, uh, you know, Nicholas and Palmer and just the whole, I remember seeing Weisskopf make an eagle on a par four, just blew it right in the hole and uh, followed Nicholas and just watched him birdie, I think, six or seven holes that I was watching him. I saw him miss a four-footer on the first hole and then knock it on a par five and two. And I mean, they made it, it look so easy. I was... Used to love being there and just hanging out on the range, you know, when you would do the volunteer stuff of carrying the signed stanchions or help picking up, you know, cups and stuff at, you know, in the trash because I was in the local Boy Scout troop that helped with that too. And it really inspired me as a kid. I was like, wow, I can do this. I like this golf stuff. And I would, you know, I'd watch them on the range and ride my bike home, go get my clubs and my grandfather's clubs and and then, you know, go out and hit balls and then go back the next day and do it. And it was really cool because it was in in the uh, community that I grew up in. And seeing it hey, all Joe, was about, a big inspiration for me. And and, in the, and I was going to mention the climate in Pennsylvania as a youngster. Did it bother you at times that you couldn't play perhaps all year round like other people your age living in more temperate climates? Well, in talking to the guys at the club and, uh, and, 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 you know, the pros that I knew and at, at the clubs where I worked and I talked to them and they all told me, I said, look, you got to go south. You want to play. So going south for me was going south to North, North Virginia at Old Dominion. And, uh, at least, you know, you could play all winter for the most part. It snowed occasionally, but very rare. And then, uh, you could play all year, although you just, you know, would dress for it. That's why when I, once I moved, I never did uh, move back until recently. And then um, just simply because you could play all year. And uh, yeah, it was just one of those things. And then when I got out of school, I went into the finance business and, uh, and it took me, well, it took me about 10 years before I made the commitment to turn pro and, and then change my career. Uh, but no, it was all, I, I got the advice from the pros that I knew there of, of, you know, you, you want to play, you have to go south. And Joe, just to expand on what you said a moment ago, I mean, you had a successful career at Old Dominion. You won three times while you, while you were there. You led the team to a lot of success as well. Talk about, you know, why, why Old Dominion? I get that you had to go south, but why Old Dominion? Oh, it was just one of the things that it, 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 it wasn't that far away. And I always, I don't know, there, there was part of me that was, uh, 
you know, I liked Virginia. And then, of course, I went down there with uh, my dad and we looked at the school. And, of course, they got the big naval base there. He's a Navy guy and a bunch of his friends are Navy guys. And I was like, well, I kind of like this area. It's down here. The ocean's not far away. I like the fish. And, and uh, so it was, it, it, it really was, uh, it was pretty easy for me to do. I could just get in my car, go down the eastern shore, go across the Bay Bridge Tunnel, and then, uh, I was there and it was, you know, and then I could always come back, you know, simply a five, five hour drive coming back. But it's just uh, one of the things that it, it, it's just the way that it worked out. Um, I got accepted and uh, I got a, I, I have a degree in corporate finance and I used that for 10 years and then, uh, and then I changed my career to being a, uh, touring professional. So, Joe, one of the things that you're famous for, and I got to get you to tell the story, you had a five-foot putt <laughs> at Q School back in 2000 that was dead in the heart of the hole, and it uh-huh. popped out. What yeah. happened? Well, oh, no, the cup was down in the uh, sand-based soil there in Palm Springs, and uh, actually it must have, uh, I don't know, somebody must have been, a little fired up about whatever was made on the hole, and they must not have, they probably tomahawked a pin in there, so it adjusted the angle of the cup in the ground. And actually, from the golf channel, I went in there that day with the cameraman, and he could fit a pencil beside the hole and the, and the side of the cup, so there was an angle of the cup that was protruding, and I happened to putt from that angle, and it hit the top of the metal cup, and then recoiled back out of the hole. But it should never have been one shot that it, it, it really should never. I, I was hitting it so good. I just was so nervous putting at that time. And I made a commitment after that to really improve becoming a better putter. I spent a lot of time and a lot of hours in study of becoming better. And I, uh, I came up with specific drills and would go to different courses and, actually would rate uh, my, my ability to adjust to the speed because through the years you go to qualifying courses, all of them are not, you know, pristine rolling at 11 and in, you know, superb shape. You have to be able to adjust, you know, to the speed. And that's why I've had some some success and well, a fair amount of success in qualifying be just simply because I know how to adjust. I do certain drills to adjust to the speed of the greens that where where the tournament is. It's simple. Twenty. You start with a downhill twenty footer. Look, roll it. Look, roll it. Uphill twenty. Downhill thirty. Up thirty. Downhill forty five. Up forty five. Downhill sixty. Up sixty. And you got a short putt drill. Three, five, seven feet. Three balls. Make them all consecutively or start over, but not from the same position. They, there's a little arc there. You'll get better putting if you do those drills enough times. So, Joe, got to ask you about your, your 2012 Senior Players Championship. Mm-hmm. You win that golf tournament by two strokes over Tom Lehman, three three over our good friend Olin Brown. You shoot four rounds in the 60s at Box Chapel. All great accomplishments. You know you're. Seven years ish removed from that. What still sticks out to you about what you were able to achieve that week? Oh, just that it was it was one of those things. I trained a lot. I have a couple trainers, Sam Randolph and Jeff Jensen. Uh Sam's from Fort Worth and Jeff's from um 
somewhere there in Southern California, exactly. I'm not sure where he's living right now. But anyway, they trained me. And I upped my training regimen to not just lifting weights, do a lot of kettlebell and a whole bunch of other different stuff. But so it would help my, it, it would help me physically being able to adjust to, you know, the travel and the physical regimen. I mean, there's not many sports, you know, that you can say that are like golf, but the guys that seem to be doing best in golf through the years as of late have been, they're, they're up on their physical fitness to a certain degree beyond other players and that's how they get their edge um and and i i have to thank them for training me and then sticking with the regiment that that they gave me you know to do and and i was able to get my game very sharp to the point where um really i mean they weren't even the competition it was just me playing the golf course because I had that confidence that I did train, I did prepare, even though it was only my fourth event of the year. And I went to every Monday qualifier and played solid, but that just shows how difficult it was. I qualified for my first in my first two events in early in the season, and then and then I got in the uh, PGA and I played well there. And then I just kept on training with these guys. It was easy in California. I just get my car and ride over there. They were in Palm Springs. And it just came to the degree where you have to up your training. You got to go past where you ever thought you needed to go and then go further, but then have someone stand in there and say, come on, man, is that all you got? I mean, and then, uh, you know, press you, you know, press the edge of the envelope. And, you know, when it, whether it's putting or chipping or getting in the bunker and thinking I'm making this shot, even if it's the toughest one you ever looked at, just from the attitude standpoint. And I was able to think that way because I put in, a lot, a lot of hours of training and a lot, a lot of hours of practice so I could get to that level. It's possible. Joe, one more before. Sure. One more before we let you go. And I know you're doing uh, a lot of work now with, uh, with my friend PGA professional Jim Estes and the Salute mm-hmm. Military Golf Association. Talk about the work you're doing with yes. Jim and for the SMGA. Oh, that has been a superb evolution. I'm just really sharing with them my knowledge of, of the game. And, uh, and it's one of the really interesting things. They're all so very different and, and, and it's, it's, it's neat to see, well, folks who know nothing of golf, like the one fella, Sean brought his daughter to one day and she knew nothing of golf. And I, I first showed her, tried to have a chip at first and, and then she got that okay, but then I said, well, come on, let's start at the first station to putt. Well, let me tell you what. She got putting down right away. She was pouring in these downhill 15-footers. It was unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Here's 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 this kiddo who I'd never played golf before. I said, I told, I told him, I said, get her putter and get her nine iron. And, uh, but, but, no, it's really, it's really neat um, knowing these guys and really getting to know them better. And then, and then sharing what I know with them to help them do better. Like the one fellow, he had a wedge. He's trying to hit it. Andrew, this big, or his stocky marine, right? I said, where'd you get this club? He said, well, I, I ordered it. Now, I won't say the company name, but I compared it to my Cleveland wedge and it was almost an inch shorter. I said, here, hit my wedge. 
And he says, oh, this thing's, man, this thing's much heavier. Well, it's got an S-400, 132-gram shaft in it. And here's a guy who outweighs me by 40 pounds. And anyway, it was one of the things he didn't have the right. He anyway called up the company. They're like, yeah, send it back. We'll fix it. So it was one <laughs> of those things that, it, it, you know, you see a guy who doesn't have the, the right stuff in his hands. And, you know, I mean, the graphite stuff might work for him in about, 50, 60 years maybe, but he's like 28 years old. So, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it's, I've, I've really had a lot of fun with, uh, sharing the time with those guys down there. I mean, it's a great program. I mean, um, everybody's, everybody enjoys it and boy, the time for me goes by very quickly when I'm with those folks. Before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media? Well, I'm not a social media guy, but I do have a website. I still use a 12-column journal with a pencil when I do my accounting. So, um, <laughs> old lessons die hard. I actually gone through a compliance <laughs> audit, but uh, I, I uh, do have a website. I'm still working on it, but it's uh, joedailygolf.com. And uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can always message me there. Joe, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. We really appreciate it. So many other things we wanted to get into with you. We hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. Thank you, Joe. Absolutely. Thank, thank, thanks, Chris. Thank you, Bob. Pleasure. Take care, Joe. All the best to you and your family. You we'll catch up soon. Likewise. Thanks. Bye-bye. That is Joe Daly, D-A-L-E-Y, JoeDalyGolf.com, and a, a major champion over on the Senior Tour, Bob. And uh, there's so many other things I wanted to get into with Joe, but you want to talk about a guy that uh, was gritty and got through and, and uh, made his way to the top of the uh, Champions Tour after getting through Q School and getting through the what is now the Web.com Tour and playing out on the PGA Tour for a bit. But great story for a guy that uh, rose all the way up to being a, a major champion. Exactly, Chris. Anytime he could talk to a major champion on any tour, it's a pleasure. He's uh, he's the salt of the earth from Pennsylvania for sure. It's a pleasure talking to Joe. All right. Before we get to our next guest, Nathan Grube, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors. First, well, folks, TaylorMade has done it again. The all-new TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers are out there, and boy, what a story. They both feature speed-injected twist face created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where Every single head, and I do mean every single head, is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. Basically, every head is made tour spicy, so speed for all of us. Check them out online at tailormadegolf.com. I also want to give a shout-out to a couple of our new sponsors, starting with our friends at the Sandestin Resort. Surrounded by white sand beaches and the beauty of the Gulf of Mexico, Sandestin Golf and Beach Resort offers three championship golf courses open to the public and one semi-private course. With recognition from leading golf magazines and reviewers around the world, each course provides an exciting challenge in different scenic settings. Golfers can choose to play one or all courses, including Raven Golf Club, the Robert Trent Jones layout that played host to the PGA Tour champions back in 2006 and 2007. The Lynx Golf Club, designed by Tom Jackson, offers a winding layout against a backdrop of Baytown Marina in the Chakawachi Bay. Baytown Golf Club, also designed by Tom Jackson, offers a fifth set of U.S. Kids Junior Tees 
and Burnt Pine Golf Club, which is a semi-private Reese Jones design available only to registered Sandestin guests. Visit them online at sandestin.com forward slash tea time or give them a call at 844-887-SAND for more information and to book your tea times. I also want to welcome Golf Pride to the next on the T family. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and experience the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with us here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Nathan Groove. And let me remind you a little bit about Nathan's background. He graduated from Auburn University with a uh, degree in mass communications. Decided that teaching the game of golf was where he wanted to be, and he became a PGA teaching professional. He was an instructor at the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail Academy from 1996 to 1999. He then became the tournament director at the Southern Farm Bureau Classic and the executive director of the First Tee of Greater Birmingham. In March of 2005, he became the tournament director for the Travelers Championship, which is coming up next month, June 18th to 24th, at TPC River Highlands up in Cromwell, Connecticut. Last year, Bubba Watson came from six strokes back to win the tournament for a third time. 2017, Jordan Spieth pitched in from the bunker in sudden death to defeat Daniel Berger. We all remember the chest bump he and Michael Greller did when that shot rolled in. It's one of the premier golf events out on the PGA Tour, and we're very excited to have Nathan back with us again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Nathan, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, Nathan. Guys, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, Nathan, before we talk about this year's Travelers Championship, I wanted to get your thoughts on last weekend's PGA Championship. you got to be excited because Brooks Kepka was one of the early commits to this year's tournament. You've had him over the last several years. Talk about what you saw at the PGA. No, that was uh, that was a great golf tournament. That was a huge golf course. I mean, it's I mean for anybody who hasn't been there, I mean it just feels like a state park. Obviously, it is, but it is. Um, you know, you kind of had a feeling that a big hitter was gonna was gonna win, and Brooks is definitely that. But yeah, no, it's been great to have Brooks when he won the U.S. Open last year, and he comes and plays this the week after, and then. You know, as an early commitment for us, obviously we were, we were rooting for him, but it was just, it was so interesting to watch him on Thursday, especially after that round. And he said, yeah, you know, I could have shot 60 or whatever his goal was. I wanted to shoot 60 or I, I thought it was attainable. And then if you watch that round, it's like, you know what? He probably could have done it. But then, I mean, you just see how good these guys are, right? I mean, the, the, the pack keeps creeping up and what Dustin did and, you know, I mean, Jordan, I mean, there was just, uh, there's a lot of guys making a good run, but I mean, Brooks is just, he is focused on what he wants to do and he is, uh, he's committed to his craft and he has worked very, very hard at it. And, uh, it's been, uh, it's been fun to watch and uh, the crowds here love seeing him. Bob, questions for Nathan? Nathan, first of all, it's always a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for joining us each year, both on the radio and TV sides and, uh, I truly look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. And the most important question first, Nathan, can I count on seeing your awesome dad once again? 
chauffeuring uh, the media members to the uh, media center. I tell you what's great about about Dad. He uh, he comes out and I made him go through the whole thing. I said, you're not getting special treatment, Pops. I said, listen, you sign up on the website, you try to get your shift, you, you do everything. And he, I remember the first year, this is out probably five or six years ago, that uh, that he did this. And he looked at me and he went, you're serious, aren't you? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, you get no special treatment. You, you know, like, here are the rules, here are the parameters. And he's he's an absolute joy. I mean, you, you've got to, to meet him and spend time with him. And he, is, uh, he could probably be the mayor of any city that he lived in just because he... Has never met a stranger. He, he loves talking to people, and uh, it's really, it's really fun having him be a part of it. He the, the first time in 2004 in uh, in in Jackson with the Southern Farm Bureau Classic. He came out to help me out, and and he had never uh, done anything with me before. And he said, "All right, what are we going to do?" And I said, "Here's the deal, Dad. I'll pick you, or I'll wake you up at 3:30 tomorrow morning, and you're going to come and you're going to help me, and uh, I, I got a job for you." And he said, "Okay." And uh, I woke him up, and he went, I thought you were kidding. And I said, no, 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 let's go. And so he jumped in the car, and we go, and I put him out in the car barn, and I gave him a clipboard and a flashlight, and I said, Dad, this is the hardest job checking out golf carts. Here's a clipboard. Here's your flashlight. You can do this. Good luck. And I drove away, and he just looked at me like, you're, you you really just didn't do this to me. But it's really one of his fondest memories. He had so much fun, and he, he's such a good sport to uh, to do all that. He, he, he's, he's a lot of fun. I truly love the guy, and it was also a blast, and I mentioned this earlier in the uh, the show, Nathan, it was a blast seeing you at the 78th Annual Gold Key Dinner. That was a few weeks ago. That's uh, our Connecticut Sports Writers Alliance. We hold that yearly, and for our listeners out there, the Travelers was presented uh, with the prestigious President's Award, which Nathan accepted, and that was recognizing an organization that has made a uh, truly significant impact on the Connecticut sports landscape. And Nathan, I, I know the Travelers, and and they've really received many awards over the years uh, in so many different ways, but uh, where does this one rank? Uh, I know it's very prestigious to us sports writers here. You know what? What was really neat about that award is you kind of look who's around, who's in the room, the different people who are being uh, honored and recognized, and when you get pulled into that group as, as one of the ones being recognized, it's, it's really humbling to to see that. Cause, I, mean, I mean, these people and these organizations and these teams and these coaches have done so much for the state, for the region, and it was really special to be included in that. Um, and I think our I think our whole team and travelers, I think they understand kind of the weight of this event and what it means for our community and what it means for our volunteers and uh, we kind of feel a sense of responsibility like hey this is our time where we're kind of stewards of this this tournament and we better take care of it and we better make it better every year and you know it's like we have a responsibility so to be in that room with the writers who are telling stories who you know remembered the history of the event and just you know like right now this is our time to make this event as good as it can possibly be and be recognized for that where we are was uh, was pretty special. And Nathan, you know, I've always commended you and am amazed at how much an almost perfect tournament improves every year. And this year, players can look forward to the new 40,000-square-foot clubhouse, which you and Travelers Executive VP Andy Bissett have been over overseeing since the end of last year's tournament. There was a big article in this past uh, weekend's Hartford Current about it. And Chris, this amazing structure... As I told you before, it has a new boardroom and uh, ballroom and interactive video boards and 
even a Grill 58 named in honor of Jim Furyk's low score there a, a few years ago. But, uh, Nathan, in an attempt to further please the players and their families, uh, you guys have surely, it seems, scored a major knockout with this one. Well, you know what's so interesting about the clubhouse? It, it, first of all, it's just beautiful. I mean, we did a walkthrough again this morning and just kind of prepping for tournament week as, as we get closer and closer. But it's kind of, we say it's like the third leg of the stool. I mean, back in 06, 07, when Travelers came on, the, the practice facility just absolutely needed to be redone. I mean, the, the tour had outgrown it, the technology, the guys, the just everything. And so the practice facility was the first huge project that um, that we undertook. And then the golf course needed to be renovated a little bit. Some of the uh, you know, bunkers were a little bit tired, some of the drainage, things like that. So that was kind of the next project. And then the clubhouse is really kind of this, this last piece of, I mean, we've had to build temporary structures uh, off of the clubhouse just to fit some of your dining and I mean, we had so many tents going off of that thing, and it just looked like a Lego project that had kind of gone sideways just because we kept building off of the side of it. And I remember it was uh, probably three years ago, Commissioner, uh, at the time, Deputy Commissioner Jim Monahan came up, and he and Andy Bissett were, were, were talking and kind of went on a tour of the clubhouse and talking about the future of the Travelers Championship and where we wanted it to go and things like that. And Jay looked and went, this, this is going to be an issue if you guys want to keep growing this tournament because it was, it was just the infrastructure and so you know fast forward here we are and i mean it was probably seven eight days after the tournament last year where i mean andy was the first one to after taking down the clubhouse and uh to, you know got it up and tore it down and it just what they did is phenomenal and what we're going to be able to do with that clubhouse not just for the players and the families but they gave us a huge event hall in the bottom um and we're going to be able to do so many things tournament week, and they're going to be able to run so many more charity events out of there. It really just it opened the door for us to, I mean, ultimately find new ways to, to raise more money for charity, as well as take care of the players and their families in a way that we've never been able to do before. So it's pretty exciting. Nathan, I want to take you back and talk a little bit about the heritage of the event. And, People that are around the age that Bob and I are, we remember this event as the Greater Hartford Open or even as far back as the Sammy Davis Jr. Greater Hartford Open. But then you look at the rich history of this event that dates all the way back to 1952 and some of the all-time great players that have won there, the the Bob Toskies and the Sam Snead, Arnold Palmer, Jackie Burke, Lee Trevino, Billy Catherine, I could go on and on. Our good friend Owen Brown, also a winner there. Talk about the history of this event. You, I mean, my gosh, you just rattle off so much. I mean, you go down the list of uh, the, the champions, and not only the champions, but like how they've won, you know, and what they've done with their, uh, you know, status of winning the tournament. I mean, there's there's so much. I mean, even since I got here, you know, I didn't win this time. And actually, it's funny you say that, because when, when I interviewed for this job, um, one of the things that we looked at uh, at the time, my wife and I, um, we just had, you know, one small baby, a couple months old, and and we were kind of like, wow, you know, where are we going to move to Connecticut? And we looked because in, in our industry, it's like, okay, how strong are the tournaments? Are they going to be here for a couple years? Are they going to, you know, come and go? When you have a family, you know, you kind of look at these things, and the history of this tournament was so strong and so deep, and it was so evident that there was just this community that loved this tournament that we felt really, really good about coming up here and. Sure enough, I mean, we got here in 05, and then here it is 2019, and 
I have a high schooler and I got a, you know, a, another middle schooler and, you know, and like we're New Englanders. And so it, it really just kind of embraces you and, uh, it takes you in. And I think about the history since I've been here since 05 of, you know, Brad Faxon and Chart Vanderwald in a playoff in 05 and, you know, JJ Henry winning, Connecticut kid winning the event in 06 and, Hunter Mahan getting his first win in 07 and Stuart Sink winning for the second time in eight and then Kenny Perry setting the course record in 09. And, you know, I mean, I could just go on and on for all the different things. I'm very fortunate to have history play out. I mean, Jim Furyk shooting his 58 here and then Jordan Spieth hitting his shot that, I mean, literally the earth shook. I mean, I was standing there and it was, it was an earthquake. And then, Bubba winning for three, you know, three times, and even Phil, Phil being a two-time champ, and him coming back this year uh, is just going to be awesome. So, I mean, I could sit here and talk about story after story. I mean, Ken Duke, he wins, and he turns around and says, "I made a promise, my first PGA Tour event. I'm going to cut a fifty thousand dollars check to the charities." And he pulled out his checkbook right there in the locker room and cut the check, and he said, "I've been waiting my whole career to do this." and I mean, just it's uh, it's rich with history, and it's uh, it's, it's a privilege to be a part of it. And Nathan, as you mentioned, Bubba Watson winning the event three times, including being the defending champion there this year. Have you talked to Bubba about what it is about TPC River Highlands that suits his game so well? Uh, we have actually we've talked a few times about it, and it's very interesting because. Not only has he won three times, but he probably could have won probably at least five times. I mean, he had a, I want to say a three-shot lead that year that Ken Duke won. And he, you know, Bubba on Sunday, triple bogey 16 and uh, loses by one out of the playoff. Like, he could have been a four- or five-time champ here. It's funny. He talks about how it just, it, it, it sets up to his eye. He can hit driver a lot. Um and he's one of those guys where if he feels comfortable on a golf course, you know, look out. You know, Riviera, Augusta, you know, TBC River Highlands. I mean, he's all won those courses multiple times. And uh, it's he talks about his eye. He talks about he just feels good here. The crowd, you know, embraces him as, you know, kind of their champion. And he says he loves standing on the tee. He just he feels, he feels really good. And it's funny, the first time he won in 2010 – I don't know if many people remember this. He was in a playoff. It was he and Corey Pavin in a playoff. Because sometimes people talk about, oh, it's just a bomber's golf course, you know, and you can rip your way around it. And it's like, wait a minute. At the time in 2010, you had the tour's shortest hitter and you had the tour's longest hitter in a playoff. You know, you tell me when that has ever happened before. So it's not <laughs> like this, this, this tournament, you know, I'm sorry, this golf course really favors one type of player. I mean, look at all the different styles that have won here over the years. And uh, it's been great, but for whatever reason, Bubba just, he feels so comfortable here. Like I said, when he feels comfortable, look out. And, and Nathan, you mentioned the ground shook when Jordan chipped that ball in from the bunker to, to win. But when I was looking back over the history of the, of the event and the lowest scoring round by on average comes on Sunday. And, is, and I was curious, is that by design? Are you guys looking for those sort of Augusta national like roars on the back nine as someone makes a charge in, in order to win the golf tournament? Oh, you, you act like we can stage this drama. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I, would say, I, would say, I would say this, that the, the golf course is, I think one of the reasons why the players like it, well, it's one of the reasons they said they like it, is that it's a fair golf course, and it rewards you for good shots, and it punishes you for bad shots. And so if you want to be aggressive, you can 
take chances and you can you can throw up a number. If you get aggressive and you're just a little bit off, you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. And so I think guys on Sunday feel like they have to go low, but I, it's not really. I mean, the pin positions are in very very tough spots, and the greens are you know usually by that part of the summer kind of you know they're getting very very fast. And it's a, as an example, so so Furek when he shot his 58, he shot 12 under that day. And I think Russell Knox won the tournament at 14 under for the week. So it, it's not like everybody drops at 61, 62, 63 on Sunday, but you know, you, you get the guys that if you want to be aggressive and take that chance, there is a chance to, uh, there is a chance to score. Um, I remember Faxon, I think Faxon shot 61 the Sunday he won. Uh, so it's out there. You're never really out of it. But it's not like everybody, you know, the scoring average is 65 on Sunday. You know, it's like if it's if it's out there, you you can go get it. But if you miss it, you're you're going to pay for it. Bob, a couple more for Nathan before we let him go. Sure, uh, Nathan. First of all, any other changes to the course layout this year, and/or any new attractions to the fans that you'd like to make known to us? Sure. The, uh, to the actual golf course, no, no changes. They did those, you know, I want to say that it was three years ago, I think, with the bunker mm-hmm. renovations. And, you know, they made a couple small tweaks, but nothing crazy. The guys love the golf course. Um, but I will say the hospitality and fan wise, you're going to see a bunch of different changes. We flipped two of our hospitality structures on 18, um, to be able to, to get better views, be able to fit more people. Um, we built a new structure out on the 17th fairway that quite possibly could be the best view on the golf course. I mean, we, I stood out there yesterday and looked around and you can stay, you can be in this structure and you can see the first hole, the second hole, 15, 16, 17. And, and you can just see so much golf. It's amazing. And if that's a brand new facility this year and, uh, the fan zone, it's all, that's always a huge hit. I mean, you know, obviously we have a mini golf course. We have a big rock wall. We have, ice cream, face painting, kids can make jewelry. I mean, literally, and these are my kids too, not just other kids. My kids will spend the day down there and never watch a shot of golf, you know, because it's, it's the old practice facility. And so you have 20 plus acres down there where you create just this huge fun area. That's where you have the concerts at night and things like that. And I, I swear for years, my kids thought I worked at a carnival. They, they never thought I worked at a golf tournament. Um, but, uh, we also have, you know, three, well, one, two, three fan venues that are, that are free, that are climate controlled venues that are located around the property where fans can go in with their general admission ticket, go in, sit in the air conditioning, uh, you know, and they're just, they're free out there just to enjoy. And so, uh, I kind of have jokingly said that if you've, you're going to see the Travelers Championship for the first time, even though if you've been 20 times, it's going to look brand new this year with a clubhouse and all the other stuff that we're doing on property. And finally, Nathan, we've made it known how charitable the tournament has been over the years, raising more than $40 million for more than 750 charities. And about half of that money has been raised during the Travelers sponsorship reign. Talk about some of the charities uh, that may once again benefit this year from the proceeds. Sure. It's, it's the easiest thing about the tournament to talk about. I actually just came from the charity that tonight where we had about uh, – about 100 charities in the room um, talking about the the tournament, how they're going, you know, going to be raising money, and we're going to, you know, just be working with them to help them raise awareness for what they're doing. And you know, we do this stuff year round, but I mean, it's 
back to kind of what I was saying earlier, like we feel a sense of responsibility with the tournament that we know that if we run a really, really good PGA Tour event, that our charities are going to benefit from that and they're going to benefit more. And you're motivated by that to do really well and to do the best job that you can. Um, I mean, we had a media day last week and we had Bubba in town and we had our primary charity, uh, the Hole in the Wall Game Camp. It's this, it's this camp that Paul Newman started, um, back in the eighties and it's here in Connecticut. And we had some of the kids come and speak. And these are kids that are dealing with, I mean, some really, really tough issues. I mean, from cancer to battling sickle cell to a whole slew of diseases that are just really, really debilitating. They spend, you know, a lot of their lives in the hospital and, and they come out and they basically build a hospital and they disguise it as a camp at a hole in the wall camp. And, you have these kids that are just really, really struggling, but they're actually just get to feel like kids and they speak to you. And we had, we had a, a young woman speak to us at media day to talk about her experience at camp. And I mean, Bubba's crying. I'm crying. I mean, it's it, every, every media day every year that we have a camper speak. I mean, I just, I lose it. I mean, they're just so moving what, what they talk about and to be able to be connected to that and to be able to support those families and to be able to see a direct connection between, hey, if we do our jobs well, these are the people that are going to benefit. And these are the families that are the end result of us running a good tour event. And so it's, uh, it's a privilege to be a part of it. I mean, to be able to, to say that, you know, we have a, a kind of a direct connection between how we do our jobs and the lives that are touched. I mean, I, I never get tired of hearing the, the, the campers or the parents talk. Nathan, one more before we let you go, and we touched on this a little bit last year, but for our listeners who weren't with us then, talk about the, you know, all the things that you guys do. There's a reason why all of the top players from around the PGA Tour are willing to come play in your event the week after the U.S. Open. Talk about the job you do taking care of not only them, but the wives and the children and the coaches and the entourage that these players have and how you get them there. You know, I, I would say this. It started with, and, and we talked about this before, but I mean, it started back when travelers came in and they, they didn't have an idea of, they, they didn't come in and say, Hey, here's what we want to be. We're going to be this. We really had an, a blank slate and Andy Bissett and I started going out on tour talking to them guys saying, what, what do you want us to be? Like, what do you want this PGA tour event to be? What's important to you? And it was, I mean, it put the guys back. Bubba talks about it. He goes, I wasn't ready for that question. You know, he said, he said, I was ready for, will you come play us? You know, blah, blah, blah. And you know, like the normal questions, you know, we hope it works on your schedule. He said, I wasn't ready for the, please tell us how we can make our, our, our event better for you. Like, what can we do? And we just started asking everybody, players, caddies to your point, the wives, the girlfriends, the, I mean, I remember sitting with Andy. The set and, and Mike Tirico and sitting in some food tent with NBC back in, you know, 2006 saying, Hey, how do we make it better for the, the crews, the television crews when they're out here covering it and having them go, what? Why do you want to make this better for the, the TV crews? And they're like, we want to make it good for everybody. And so, I mean, just asking, you know, a thousand questions, you get a thousand answers and you say, okay, here is, you know, people are answering us and they're responding. And so, you start making the lives of the TV crews easier and you start making the lives of the caddies easier and you start 
you know, doing things for the daycare programs and the girlfriends and the wives and, to your point, the trainers and the coaches and the, you know, this whole entourage, we feel like we have tried to make the tournament better for every single one of those constituents. And it has paid off. I mean, when you see the guys on tour now, I mean, they will say thank you or they'll give you an idea and then you can actually implement it. And, uh, I mean, I commend Andy from Travelers. I mean, he's the executive vice president and CEO of Travelers. And he makes time to come out with me on tour to listen and talk to the guys. And we have been able to build, I would, uh, I think, a culture of, you know, an event that listens, an event that tries to take care of them, an event that understands they're on the road with their families and how do we make this as easy on them as possible. But, again, it's not just the players. It's it's everyone. And uh, I don't know. I think it's just the, the culture that has been started here, and it has it has paid off. I mean, you get guys that, you know, playing the week after the Open, we thought back in 06, 07, we were going, oh, man, that's going to be a tough date. And, uh, you know, we just hit it head on going, okay, well, what can we do about it? And I did an interview. It was quite funny. I did joke about this, but I did an interview about five, ah, four or five years ago um, with one of, you know, our, our field was really good that year. And I've been fortunate to have, have really good fields. And the reporter asked me, um, he said, how did you guys get so lucky with the week after the U.S. Open to be able to get a field like this? And I almost just burst out laughing. Oh, my God, how many times have I been answering this question for nine years? You know, going, how are you going to make it work for the week after the Open? But it is, I mean, we're we're believers that if, if, if you put on a good event, that the players will come. And we kind of started, you know, Andy and I started saying, look, the, the date's not going to make the tournament. You know, the tournament will make the date. And we bought, we believed that. And we, we felt like we could make a really good event. And uh, we've been very fortunate that, that our plan has uh, has resonated with the players, and um, it is uh, it's produced you know some some really good fields, and I'm really excited for the fans to be able to see. I mean, you, you look at the field this year, man. You know, Brooks is coming back, and Justin Thomas, and Bryson, and Jason Day, and Phil, and Bubba, and uh, I mean, the list goes on. Like, I'm just thrilled for our fans. I mean, because they're just gonna they're gonna have a great time out there. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Nathan, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you guys are doing to get more information about the tournament, whether they go online or they do it over social media? I mean, we, we have it all. We have a really good team on the social side, but I mean, everything kind of starts at, at TravelersChampionship.com and you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, it's all right there at Travelers Champs and, uh, for, for all of it. And it's just, uh, it's fun. I mean, we try to have fun with it. We try to put fun stories out there. And like I said, we have a really good team that, you know, tries to engage with the fans. But uh, you can you can catch all there, see where to volunteer, how to, uh, uh, you know, find if you're still looking for certain types of tickets. I mean, a lot of stuff is actually sold out on certain days, which is always, you know, it's fun, but it's always, you know, you got there's a little sense of urgency if you want to come see certain things. Um, you can see all that on our website, but then all the other programs too, Women's Day, Military Appreciation, and the stuff we got going on for kids, and uh, there's, a, there's a lot of concerts, there's a lot of stuff on there, so uh, we'd love people to check it out. Nathan, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's been great having you here again this year. We hope you'll continue to join us and let us know how things are going. You guys run a fantastic event, and now, like I say, there's a reason why all of those players continue to come back year after year because of the great work that you and your team do. Congratulations to you guys. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate the support, and we'll see you, uh, we'll see you very soon. 
see you in a few weeks, Nathan. Yeah, indeed. Take care, Nathan. All the best to you and your family. Take care, guys. Thanks. See ya, Nathan. That is Nathan Groove, and I'll tell you, Bob, you look at the, the star-studded field that they get there every single year, and the fact that the guys continue to go back says a lot about the quality of the tournament, how well they're taken care of, and like Nathan just pointed out a moment ago, really going out to those guys and wanting to know, what do you want us to make this tournament into? What do you want it to be like? What do you want it to feel like? And then not only getting that feedback, but doing something with it and executing on it. It's fantastic. That's what I mentioned earlier, Chris. I come back there after the final Sunday every year saying, I don't know how they can improve on this. That was as good as it gets, and uh, it's so smoothly run. And, and the media are part of those groups that he tells you that they try to accommodate and are are, are very kind to. And, and that's just amazing every year what they do for us. And uh, it's why a lot of us would consider that event the number one event every year in Connecticut, whether you're a major golf fan or just a casual fan. It's, it's, it's just an amazing event. And what they do for charity, again, is at the forefront, and uh, that's something everyone can sink their teeth in, Chris. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, in about another month from now, it will all be uh, shaken out. So look forward to it. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, for our listeners, let them know how, all the great things that they do do for you guys in the media and uh, that uh, go out there in the free-flowing Ben & Jerry's ice cream, which you know I'm incredibly jealous about. <laughs> well, Chris, yeah, we we arrive at the media parking lot, which is, is a lot less chaotic, obviously, than general parking, and we are chauffeured uh, into the media center by guys like Nathan's dad on golf carts, and uh, they take a nice shortcut and... We go into an air-conditioned media center where there is uh, free-flowing beverages. And then uh, right adjacent to that is the dining hall, which all day long is gourmet food. And like you said, there's uh, unlimited supply of Ben & Jerry's ice cream. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the whoever likes to eat, Chris, I mean, it's uh, if you like food and golf, you got to become a member of the media just for that. It's it's worth it. And uh, again, <laughs> and they improve on the food every year. It's it's amazing what they come up with. And again, it's it's just an honor uh, that I'm invited back every year. I just got my credentials approved the other day. And uh, again, Nathan and his assistant Tara, and uh, the tournament coordinator Ryan Stracuzzi. Uh, are just tremendous people, and uh, from the time you arrive there on the first Thursday, Chris, uh, you know, they're there to take care of you, and uh, there's always so many many events like that out there, and uh, no matter how long you've been in the business, you feel good about being taken care of by professionals like that. There you go. All right, folks, it is time for us to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. We want to send out our sincere thanks to Joe Daly and Nathan Group. And my sincere thanks to you, Bob, for coming over and joining me tonight. It's, like I say at the top, it's fun having you as uh, as part of the golf show as well. We'll do it again. Hope maybe in a few weeks, Chris. I can. Uh, I'll come back after the uh, travelers, and we'll talk about it from my perspective and how it shook out. And uh, again, it's always an honor to work with you, no matter what sport we're covering. <laughs> Indeed, I. And I look forward to having you come back and letting us know what it was like and uh, sharing your experiences over there. Enjoy it, my friend. We'll catch up again uh, in, a, in a few weeks. And then uh, not long after that, in July, we'll start back up with uh, a new season of Thursday Night Tugging. We'll start talking football all over again. But I appreciate you and your Sounds time. Sounds like a plan. 
Excellent. Can't wait. All right. Take care, Bob. All right. You too, Chris. Take care, man. That is the great Bob Lazari. And, uh, folks, again, thank you for tuning in and being a part of the show tonight. We always appreciate the fact that you are making us a part of your, uh, of your golf content. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. Over there, you'll be able to keep up with our guest schedule and then uh, see who are some of our future guests are going to be. Plus, you'll be able to link back to our page over on Podbean. Can't thank our partners over there enough for featuring us front and center in their golf section on their mobile app as well as online. So you'll be able to go over there and extreme, you know, stream any of our archive episodes there. And uh, like I say, download the Podbean app and you'll be able to take us everywhere you go. You can also stream us on another of other, number of other great sites like like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. We appreciate all of them for their support of the show. Again, folks, thanks for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We appreciate you guys the very most. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Team with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about 